Let's talk about being the programme director at Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Services. Let's also discuss what it's like finding out you're dyslexic at age 30. What about women of God walking in their purpose? And a whole lot more. This is Pablo from Hackney, and this is Pablo's podcast. Thank you for choosing Pablo's podcast today. Welcome. This week, I have the pleasure of being joined by Tanya Robinson OBE, currently the Programme Director for Race and Action in Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Services, the co-founder of City Women Outreach, the founder of Girls to School, the chair of the Board of Trustees for Women and Frontline, sorry, Women on the Frontline, rather, currently supporting um, NGO in Ghana. And, you know, I mean, that's a mouthful in itself, and that's, that's more than most of us do um, in a lifetime, to be fair. Um, but this woman is um, extremely focused, um, community-focused, um, and has lived, lived a life that, we can, that most of us can relate to. And most importantly, she's a woman of God, you know, walking in her purpose. So without further ado... I'd like to welcome Tanya Robinson. Oh, thank you, Pablo. Uh, thank you, thank you for having me. And and just to add to that, and I and I don't want to say it because I don't want to sound boastful, but I've just I've just joined the board of trustees for Prison Radio, uh, which I'm really quite excited about because um, you know they have connections in every single prison, and uh, um, and and I've, yeah, it felt like a, a great honour to, to to join that board of trustees as well. Wow, that's amazing. So that means you'll be hosting a show there or you're just in the background or how does that work? Well, well I have been, I, as part of, I mean, there is some conflict as in I work for the Prison and Probation Service mm. um, and I'm on the Board of Trustees, so I, I try not for that to overlap. So um, as on the board, that's more about fundraising, focus, um, raising the profile of the work that they do to enable the work to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do an interview with them about my work, but that was in my role as a senior leader within uh, the prison and probation service, um, not as a, um, uh, a member of their board. Okay. So quite separate. Right, right. Well, congratulations then. On the, Thank you. Another, you, you know, there's no time left for to do anything else, it seems, but I'm sure you'll squeeze something else in as the opportunity arises. Excellent stuff. So um, I would like to, you know, kind of start at the beginning, really, you know. Um, you know, I know, obviously, I'll let you elaborate a bit more, but obviously you're from Hackney, you're from the same borough as myself, and we've known each other for years. Um, so I really want to start from the beginning, as I said, and maybe talk about um, your background, family, um, you know, where you've come from, the essence of you. Okay. Um, yeah, so, as you say, I, I was kind of born and bred in Hackney, um, which I think uh, has done a lot in terms of um, uh, forming who I am and the way that I deal with challenges and the way that I face life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was uh, grew up in a... Um, a single parent home um, um, in a council state, uh, and I think my ambition growing up was, um, you know, probably to have been an office manager or something, mm. um, because you 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 could you could you can It's very really difficult to see beyond your circumstance, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, 
Um, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and uh, but I was, a, I was a bit of a tear away, I have to say. Okay. And, and uh, I left school at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't fin- I didn't go back and finish my uh, GCSE exam. Right. And I always felt that I was um, bright, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't fit in that academic world, I don't think, in that way that, mm-hmm. that, that school offered. Um, and I was, I, I was quite rebellious. Um, I left home quite young, um, and I had my daughter young. So uh, my daughter is now 30 years old, and uh, yeah, I know. Time flies, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) it it flies, and yeah, yeah, time waits for no man. Mm. And so I I had my daughter at 18, Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I think because of my upbringing and my childhood, I didn't manage that relationship very well. Mm. Um, and you know, great guy and is, is one of my friends and, you know, um, I still class him as family. Um, but in terms of, 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 of me being able to cope in that relationship, that, that, that just wasn't, um, where I was at. Um, and then, um, so that, that ended. And as I say, we, we, uh, we, we remained friends. Um, and then I, I was single for a while and then, um, met my son's dad and that was, a that was a, a yeah. That was a, a tough relationship. I, I think probably on both sides. Mm-hmm. And and since you know, um, in my in, in my uh, maturity and um, self awareness and my relationship with God, I think you learn that um, you see so many people try to make relationships work, but when you've got two broken vessels, mm-hmm. um, you know, two are supposed to join to make one and when you've got two broken vessels and you're trying to connect them to make a whole if they're broken it just doesn't fit no matter how much you try um and i was determined i didn't want to be a single parent and so and um we just we continued in that relationship um uh and i had my son when i was 23 um, and we were relatively um, successful, I suppose, in terms of, you know, we, we bought property quite young, uh, which was quite unusual. But I didn't have a career path. I still didn't have any qualifications. And I was, I was, I was going from menial job to menial job and always felt that I'd look at the person who was running a department and think I could do it better than them. Um, but ne- there was never an opportunity for me to do that. And it wasn't until... I'd say my, um, and I might be getting ahead of myself here on my journey, but um, but, but but do stop me. Mm. Um, it wasn't until my early 30s that I started to work in a probation office as a temporary receptionist. Uh-huh. And when I was working there, and I and I'd listen to all the stories that would come in, you know, because you're, you're you're on reception, and so people are coming in to see their probation officers, and I was just intrigued by their stories. And I think to myself, why would they not be in this situation? Because the cards they've been dealt have been quite rough. Yeah. Um, and then I saw how society and even people around me um, engage with them. And I just thought, this isn't right. You know, these people deserve more. And actually, I saw potential in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big part of what I do in, t- in, in terms of in my job and in my charities it's about potential in people um and i thought i could do this job Mm -hmm. but at the time if you would have asked me you know what's your dream job 
it would have been to be office manager of that building. Yeah. Um, because again, you can't see beyond. But anyway, I applied for a job, uh, a role as an unqualified probation officer, um, and I, I, I didn't get through the first round of interview. But they called me back about six months later and they offered me a position. Mm-hmm. And so I started to do that. And then I felt like, actually, I, why, why I could do what the qualified officers were doing. Mm. Um, and then I applied for the degree course. So I'd gone from no qualification straight onto a degree course, which I, which I, got, which I got onto. And, I, and I'd done that um, and, and passed that. And at the time... I was bringing up my two children. My daughter was doing her GCSEs at the time. Mm. And I was working full-time and doing this degree. Um, and then I was a probation officer. I qualified. I became a probation officer. And again, it just didn't... It, the space still felt too small. Um, but I didn't necessarily fit the mould to step up into a more senior role. Right. Um, they were like, yeah, you're really good at your job, but actually, you know, there's things that you need to develop, there's things you need to look at to be a leader here. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time, a lot of the leaders um, that I saw around me um, were of a particular, um, they, they were of a particular um, um, background that I didn't come from. They right. were either white, middle class, um, to upper class. Um, so, let to, me just, I just want to interject right there, because yeah. that, that is a good, and it's, it's a, it's something that a lot of us will have to deal with. You know, people that are in the higher positions don't look like us. They don't come from where we come from. And then yeah. it often looks, um, so how, how do I, you know, get a foothold in there? You know, bearing in mind, I'm sure you would have experienced nepotism, you know, within, within the workplace or, or, you know. So, so yeah, I want to, because you... you, yeah. you, you I think, I think, yeah, I, think so, yeah. I, I, I think there's two things. I think one is there is nepotism, but yeah. two, there's also the um that complex that we can have that we don't think that we're good enough absolutely absolutely but that and that that comes from somewhere and that's why so what i want to do mm. is because you we, as you said earlier you you've gone way forward which is excellent i, I, w- I didn't want to stop you because your story is so amazing you know i didn't i didn't want to stop mm. you but we've gone up to where you uh, became a probation officer you know we, mm-hmm. we've gone there. but what i want to go back to is mm. um, school, your schooling, because yeah. you've gone all the way yeah. to your daughter's schooling. So your yeah. schooling, you know, discrimination mm. that you may have had to deal with, the influences you may have had, you know, mm. what was that like? Um, to be fair, I think, um, uh, like, my, my school was very diverse. Um, and I think being mixed race, and that's one thing I didn't mention about my background, is that I'm mixed. Mm-hmm. And so... At that time, there wasn't as many mixed-race people as you see now. Mm. Um, and there was a, an identity issue there, I think. Um, wanting to be fully accepted by, by your black friends mm. um, and, and, and not feeling that you quite fitted in. When I say you, I mean me. Mm. Um, and not feeling that, you know, I quite fitted in there. Um, seeing, um, I found teachers to be quite... Um, patronising, and I, and I, and, I, and again, I put that down to my background and the way that I presented, um, because the teachers in the school were predominantly, you know, white middle class teachers, um, and I felt that they and, and and the school because it's in Hackney, there was a real mix of people, so you had your kind of uh, uh, what what we would refer to as kind of the yuppies, mm-hmm. and then you had the kind of ghettoing type 
street kids. Mm. Well, we weren't street kids, but it was just a very different, there was two very different groups of people within the school. And, and, and I think there was this expectation that those white children were going to succeed and that the, 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 the black, black kids or, or, or brown children were not going to necessarily achieve as much. Mm. Um, and that's how I think there was already a kind of class system that was being um, presented um, um, even at that age. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that kind of ties into, you know, where we just rallied back from when you were talking about, you know, us kind of carrying um, th that kind of bad baggage. It, it came mm. from somewhere, you know, and, yeah, and what, yeah. you've, what you've now, that's why I wanted to go back because a lot of that stuff, when it does happen, it doesn't happen with all of us, but it does happen, but it came from somewhere. And, and what you're talking about is where it started. You know, when we were growing up in school, there were limitations mm. subconsciously or consciously put on you know, um, um, kids in school um, said expectation was already low. Um, yeah, well, you've got that, but you've also got wider society. Mm. So when you look at um, it, when you look at people who have unconscious biases, mm -hmm. it's on the basis that. Um, so, so I did a test, and it came out that I, I, I uh, that I didn't think that people who looked like me would succeed. Mm. That was my unconscious bias, mm. and I'm like, how can I have a bias against myself? Um, and then the facilitator of this workshop, she said, so how many, how many black women or mixed race women have you seen did, that you saw growing up that you wanted to emulate? How many were there? Mm. And, you know, I thought about it and I just thought, I can't, I can't think of anyone. And she said, you have to see it to be able to know that you can be it. And so actually, we never had those role models to look up to to say, yes, we could do that. Yeah. You know, our, our role models were, 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 were not there in the same way. So who you saw being successful were predominantly white people. Mm. And if they were um, people of colour, they were in America, mm. which actually they've had generations of black people in America where the UK hasn't in the same way or in this, on the same scale. Mm. Obviously, there's been, there, there have been black people in this country for centuries, but, you know, most people that you know are first generation born here. Like their parents would have come here, or maybe their parents were first generation born here. Yeah. Because they would have come over on Windrush, their parents would have come over on Windrush or grandparents. Yeah. And so we're much earlier in the journey. So we don't have that established kind of, um, um, we don't have established roots in the same way as they do in the US. And that's why, you, you know, growing up, you didn't see a black, ma black, black bank manager or, you know, or, or doctor, or, you know, it was very rare. Even to see a black teacher, we'd be like, my goodness, you know, mm, yeah. <laughs> they've made it, they've yeah. made it. Look at that, wow. For sure, you know? it, it was a big thing to see yeah. black people on TV, let alone in real life. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. And then the stereotypes that we saw on TV were generally mm. um, not great mm. um, or not helpful. Mm. So, so, so all of that plays into, and then that plays into it, 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 when people go into the workplace and, and, and how far you think you can go. Yeah. Um, but but I never, I've never been, and it might sound odd, but I've never been ambitious. Mm. Like I've never had a plan. Like the people I have around me and some of the professional people that I'm engaged with and, um, and friends with, they have like five year plans, and they, you know, I've never had that. Mm. An mm. opportunity come, and I do believe this is my walking by faith. Mm. In that, an opportunity presents itself. And I, and I know that that space is bigger than me mm. and, and, and more than what I've ever done. Mm. And I just say, why not? Mm. 
and and if if I if I get a feeling that this is something that is going to be um, productive because I'm purpose driven, so you know how is this going to help people? Is it going to benefit? Then I step into it. That's why I went into probation in the first place. Yeah. Because it was how can I help people? Yeah. Um, and 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 then, and then yeah, and then I moved on into other roles after that. So before you got to that stage, what was the? I mean, coming out of the school, like you said, you mm. came out of, and the, the limitations that were, mm. you know, kind of put for you. What was your first nine to five job? Oh, who knows? God, I, 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 I've, I've done so many jobs. It's unbelievable. My first Saturday job was in Zetas in Clerkenwell, where I think most of most of the most of the girls in, in who lived in, in Dalston or so uh, uh-huh. went, uh, um, and, and went to Skinner School uh, worked there. Um, what is that? Zetas? Per- did you say? Zetas, yeah. What football was, what pools was in Clerkenwell. We used to just open up. You know, people used to do football pools on paper. We used to just, people posted them in and we used to just sit there on benches and just open them up. And I don't, tally count, I don't know what we did. And then if they'd won, we'd put them in a pile. Yeah, I, I can't, I, it was just, it was jokes. We got jokes on the bus there on the yeah. way back. It was, it was, it was good fun. Um, and then I worked in Percy Ingalls in Dalston. Mm. Um, and then I just did various kind of um I just did various jobs yeah. from from receptionist roles to kind of I, I was a PA for a bit wasn't yeah. very good at that at all I'm dyslexic as well okay. and when I didn't know that I, I didn't know when that did you find out that you was dyslexic in my 30s okay mm. when I went to do the degree mm. because I write in a particular way where I don't need to use grammar and it makes sense to me and I also write my sentences back to front <laughs> Okay. So I, I just it, and, and my memory. So e- so I constantly write notes. That's yeah. what I, um, I do. I, I go through so many notebooks because uh-huh. I have to take notes of conversation meetings that I'm having, because I don't I won't remember. Yeah. Um. But but once you're aware of it, then you put some adjustments in place to be able to manage it. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. So so yeah. And we we're, um, we're, uh, we're living in, we're living in a different time because um, you know, to be dyslexic or anything. That would seem to be normal and um, would have been a, a real negative, you know, for teasing mm. and stuff like that. But obviously now we're in a time where we understand that being dyslexic is just means that you your brain functions in a different way. You have to do yeah. things in a different way. And and then there's loads of examples um, other than yourself of people that are successful, like mm. Richard Branson. Um, there's various people who are dyslexic and being able to achieve great things because they understand now how their brain works and, and mm. how to do things in their way. So... Yeah, well, it's, it's it's interesting. A lot of people I meet that have um, found that they've got dyslexic. It happens to be in their later years, you know, they've, mm. they've found that. So they've kind of worked through, just trying to make, they've made their way through um, without knowing, you know, and um, and yeah, now they're a bit more clearer. So, yeah. 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 And I think thinking differently has helped me mm. um, and potentially helped me in my career because I, I'm, I, 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 I look for solutions and then I work backwards. Mm-hmm. So I see a problem. So, for example, the outreach that we started, the City Women Outreach, mm-hmm. um, uh, not far from my church, there used to be, well, there still is, a lot of sex workers around there. And mm-hmm. I'm like, who is reaching out to these girls? Mm-hmm. Like, who is trying to support them? Who is trying to give them a, a way to exit out of this if they if they wanted mm-hmm. and i didn't know anything about this and 
um, and we, yeah, we just, I'm just laughing because of the silly things we did in the early days, yeah. but you know, and it was quite blindly, it just went out and just started saying, you know, uh, taking tea and coffee out at midnight yeah. um, and just, just offering the girls tea and coffee and then a chat mm. and then, you know, building up relationships and then saying, well, actually, you know, we've got these services that we can refer you to if you want to. And then giving these girls a gateway if they wanted to, to get out. Mm. Um, but that, that, that evolved and that changed because a lot of the girls um, in East London now that are on the streets are, are generally trafficked girls, which mm. comes with it, which comes with a whole, whole, a whole lot of issues. Mm. Um, um, so the girls are being watched and they can't speak to you and you've got to be quite covert in how you kind of engage with them and, 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 and try to help them escape. Mm. So it's very different from, you know, and not someone. To, not, not, sorry to cut you, but not to mention the um, underlying trauma. As well, that, that, I mean, that, oh, that, it, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's not even what you would even begin to imagine. So, an example was one of the young girls. This was, uh, and I and I and I used to take my children out to these things as well because I just think it's really useful for them yeah. Yeah. Um, and to speak to these girls so they can get an experience of the wider world. Yeah. And um, there was one girl that I spoke to who was the same age as Danielle, my daughter, yeah. at the time, and I think she was about nineteen. And she said, I said, you know, if you could be anything, if you could dream and be anything that you wanted to be, what would that be? And she said, I'd be the best prostitute I could be. Mm -hmm. And that kind of broke my heart. Like, how can you not see beyond? How could you not see beyond like that? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and and then when you hear her story, you know, she was sold as a child into, into, into a pickpocketing ring. And then she was sold on again. And then when she was old enough, she was sold into prostitution ring. So she's had never had any form of normality ever in her life. Yeah, yeah. And even just having the conversation with me, she found odd mm -hmm. because I didn't want anything from her. Mm. And all the people that she comes into contact with want something from her. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You it's, know, uh, that reminds me of um, something that I read last week. Um, I spoke about it last week in regards to Kenya um, and their selling children, you know, um, selling, I read a report and it had a picture as well of this, this young baby. You know, baby must have been, I don't know, about 10 months. It was under a year, really chubby, chubby cheeks, really cute. And they filmed somebody trying to buy this child for 300 pounds, you know. Really? And it was just so heartbreaking because obviously I could forward think in my mind, like in years to, you know, what, is, what trauma is this child, child potentially going to be going through I mean granted it was it was a reporter that was doing recording and pretending to be a buyer and stuff so obviously that child probably got saved but um but for all the countless other children that would have been uh traumatized and trafficked and abused like f forever like and not actually mm. known anything different because they, mm. they they've been sold from babies you know so mm. no exactly so when, so that's their normality that's their norm yeah so when you talk about that it really you know that that kind of trauma and her not being able to speak to you it really um kind of brings up that kind of feeling for me but what what i wanted to ask you is um obviously you're dealing with people that are, have gone through trauma and, and various mm. different things bereavement etc what what sort of um, trauma or bereavement have, has impacted you in your life and, and how did you overcome it? I ha well, <laughs> I think that we have to be grown up and know that those things have to be dealt with. I think that we come from a generation where people don't talk. Mm, definitely. So, you know, um, in the black community, it is, you don't tell people your business mm -hmm. and it's kind of drummed into you. Mm -hmm. 
um, which I think is quite damaging, actually. Um, you know, the fear of people knowing your business and actually you bottling up what's going on, it, the, the, the benefits of actually sharing. And I've always been um, open um, um, and shared. Um, but, but I think that there's, there's, there's a couple of things. My own personal trauma and the things that I've seen and experienced in my life, I have been to counselling. I do. I, I've gone through all of that because I think it's really important to to, to make to try and um, get yourself to a place to be the best you that you possibly can be. Definitely. Um, and to let go of as much baggage as possible. And I'm not saying that's going to be completely um, um, possible, but you know, within within um, within your gift. Um, and the support that you can get, I think that that's hugely, hugely beneficial. Yeah. I think the work that I do and the stories that I've heard mm -hmm. in the things that I've done. So you talk about Kenya. I've been to Kenya. I ran a project in Kenya mm -hmm. where I was supporting um, 200 girls uh, with reusable sanitary products. Mm -hmm. And we went to Mathari, which is one of the biggest slums in, 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 in Kenya. And it has um, uh, like 180,000 people. Yeah. Um, they estimate that. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if it's if, if, it, if it's that many, but it's a lot of people who live there. Of course, and um, in, in sheer poverty. Um, what I did see there, though, was joy that I hadn't. See, you don't see amongst our children. Yeah. Um, um, but at the same time, they're really vulnerable to mm. the fact that you know, if you've got a teenager or, or a young a girl as young as 13 having a child, the chances of that child being sold into some sort of you know, it, it, it's feasible. So some of the stories that I've heard um, in, in the charity work that I do and also in my role as a probation officer mm. and, and, and subsequently the work that I do in prisons, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But I do think that God has given me a grace for that. Mm. I think that when you're walking in your purpose, because um, there's a plan and purpose for all of our lives, right? And mm -hmm. um, nobody, no matter what your circumstances of your birth mm -hmm. is a mistake, no one. Mm. And there is a plan and purpose for your life. And I think that I've been fortunate to tap into what my purpose is. Mm. And, and what's happened is, is not only do, as doors just opened um, for me without me pushing too hard on them, but also I, 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 um, all the things that I've been exposed to have not affected me. Yeah. I feel like I'm shielded from it. Mm. And that's why uh, we can look at other people and we can go, I want to do what they're doing or there could be some jealousy about what someone else is doing. But actually, if that's not your core, if that's not your path, mm -hmm. then actually it will be very damaging to you as an individual. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's about kind of being centered with, with God. Um, um, and, 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 and it doesn't have to be about, uh, you know, I don't necessarily pray about my career steps. I get this gut instinct about something and I, and, and I just go for it. Yeah. And it, and it works. Mm. Um, and, 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 and because I've been walking in that, I think that I've been given a grace to be able to, 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 to deal with it. And it doesn't, that those things don't affect me. But I think dealing with trauma is, is crucial for, for, for anybody's um, development and growth. Mm. Um, because you see people who are stuck, mm. you know, that you, you, you have conversations with some people and you think, you are moaning about the same things that you moaned about 20 years ago mm -hmm. or, or, you know, or the frustrations are the same. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying that we, I live a life of where, 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 you know, it's stress-free. That is far from it. Mm -hmm. 
but they are very different from what they were 10 years ago. Yeah, new it's because stresses. we your new stresses, mm. new day, new stresses. Mm. And, you know, yeah, we evolve, right? Mm. You know, through life. Well, hopefully, that's the plan. That's, that's the, the plan. plan. That's the plan. Yeah. So, so you're obviously, you're, you're a woman of faith, you know, um, you, you have a relationship with God. And, um, you, I mean, what, what, what happened in your life to make you turn to God or, or you know, go, mm. to, go to religion? What, what was it? What was that thing that clicked for you? Um, I, I was just in a really bad place, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't happen for everybody, but I just couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily see hope. And this was before my kind of career kicked off. And, and um, I, I just felt I was going around the same circles and um, I wasn't evolving. I wasn't growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kept thinking there has to be more. There's got to be more. Mm-hmm. And I looked at different faiths. Um, um, I had friends who've got, who are from different faiths. I, I looked into Buddhism. I looked into Islam. Um, my, my grandmother's Jewish, so I, I even considered, you know, Judaism. But there was nothing, I, you know, I'm a, uh, as I say, I've said several times, there's this gut feeling for me. And, and there was nothing that kind of I felt connected with fully. Um, and I was, I wasn't going to church. I, I used to go, I used to go and sit in churches. I didn't understand anything about religion. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't brought up in a religious house at all, but I used to go and sit in churches and I just liked, there was a sense of peace in them. Mm. Um, there was a figure on a cross, didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about the story of Jesus or none of that. I just found it a peaceful place to be. So I used to sit at the back of the church. I used to have a little bit of a cry feel a bit kind of healed or cleansed and then I'd leave. Mm. Um, but it was years later. So again, in my early thirties, um, um, I, I had a friend and we were very similar, um, quite wild beings that we were. <laughs> and, uh, she, she, she became a Christian overnight. And I was like, have you turned mad? You know, like <laughs> you've gone bonkers or what? Mm. And anyway, she said, no, you've got to meet this woman. So it wasn't in the church. I had this conversation with this woman, and we prayed together. Well, she prayed for me. I wouldn't have, at that point, would have prayed out loud. Mm. And um, this, I felt like this presence came in the room that I just couldn't describe. Mm. And, um, and I kind of just gave my life there and then without actually understanding what that meant. Mm. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I fit into a, 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 a stereotypical, I don't even know what a stereotypical Christian is, but mm. I think that... Uh, God has God has done a lot with me, mm, um, and definitely. and it's in that <laughs> in that I think that uh, that's when my purpose was revealed. And there was um, in Jeremiah talks about um, there was a plan and purpose for your life, mm-hmm. and it's plans not to harm you. But and so I'm like, but I felt like there was a there, it felt like up until that point everything was there to harm me, mm-hmm. and then it was actually no that's not the case, and and you're not an accident, and He knows every hair on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, so what is this purpose then? And it took it took a good few years for me to feel um, um, confident to step out and, and do stuff. Mm. Um, but I feel that there was a healing that was going on. Mm. Um, and then it's it, it's been a catapult sort of ever since, From really. How how old was you when that when you went through that? I was 32, I think. Okay. okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I think that. You know, between 30 and 40, people say that um, that's when you kind of come into your own. You kind of realise who you are. I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I've heard people 
say that a lot of changes happen and a lot of realization so yeah yeah when I look back I think my 20s were a bit of a nightmare really Mm. well you know because you don't know yourself do you you're trying to there is an expectation and you see some people succeeding and doing well and you know buying houses and they've got their career started and then you can look and think why isn't that happening for me or maybe there's no hope for me um and then you get to a point where you don't care Mm -hmm. about others it's about your journey Mm. and that's Totally where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. Totally where I'm at sure. now. Yeah. I think I think the the twenties. Um, it's kind of, I mean, after being in education for that first segment of life, and then you go into your twenties. That's the first time you're kind of released on the world. So it's kind of you, you're trying all kinds of things. You're trying to fulfil your dreams. You have realistic expectations, but most of them generally are unrealistic. And I suppose mm. for some young people, they hit jackpot first off and everything starts to work for them but some some people it's that whole 20 period is literally finding out who you are and what works and what doesn't work and mostly Mm. what doesn't work you know yeah (laughs) things to eliminate things you need to eliminate you you start to do that again yeah Yeah. (laughs) well you might do a couple of more times and then go all right all right i've learned my lesson yeah absolutely well so so then moving forward now to you coming from that and um going into the criminal justice system um, mm. and get and creating charities. So how, how did you start in the criminal justice system? Because you spoke about um, the, the tons of jobs you, you did and all the fun you had with them, but how did it mm-hmm. click when you like made that move? Okay, I'm going into the criminal justice system. Well, I can't say that again, it was never a planned conscious decision. Mm. So I was working in the city, working uh, for a paper merchant, I think it was, and I worked to the director as his PA, and I was really poor at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I was, but something happened in the family, and I, and I, and I was in Leicester organising a conference, and I thought, I need to be home. Mm-hmm. I, I need to work closer to home. And so I took some time out, and then I started to tent in probation. And that's when I, that was kind of my journey into the criminal justice system. And then I did the, the unqualified officer role, then I became a qualified probation officer. Um, and then I did that for about two years so everything I've done my last role I think was the longest which was two and a half years so most things I do I do for about two years mm-hmm. 18 months or two years and then and then something else comes up and I know it's time to move mm-hmm. so I did the probation officer role I couldn't get a senior probation officer role again because you know that whole kind of you don't fit the mold mm-hmm. um and then I ended up applying for a role in the in in, in, in headquarters which is the headquarters for what was then the prison and probation service. Um, and, and I got that role um, and I did that for a bit. And then they did a whole kind of uh, review of the, of the, the rehabilitation. Um, um, it was transforming rehabilitation. So it was this whole policy change yeah. where they sold off some of probation right. um, and, they, and they created what, what CRC? are called CRCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah look at you. Yeah, so... <laughs> So I was called in to work on that program, which had hundreds of people on it, um, to be a probation kind of expert type person. So I worked on that program um, for about a year. And then when they when they awarded the contracts for the CRCs, I was asked to apply for a role in the contract management team. I don't know about contract management. I don't know about the commercial world, but I knew I knew probation. So I went I got the job and I worked in the contract management team. Um, which was a promotion, um, and that was my first step kind of on the promotion ladder. Okay. And then um, the, I was then asked 
18 months later to become the senior contract manager, which was a significant promotion. Mm. And so then I was, I managed the contract for London CRC. So mm. I went from, and, and, you know, when I sit, sat back and reflected at that time, about, you know, and I'm like, I was a receptionist working in Ilford probation. My dream would have been to be the office manager of mm. that building. But right now I'm sitting in the room with the chief exec of London CRC mm. and they're having to be accountable to me on their deliverables mm. because I'm managing the contract. Yeah. And it, it, it was, it, it blew my mind a bit, you know, like you have to appreciate the journey that you've come on and not necessarily take that for granted. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it's about not forgetting where you've come from. Mm. Um, and, and that happened in a relatively short space of time uh, yeah. to go from, the lowest grade to the top, you know, the most senior grade that you can go to. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, and then again, I think my work ethic around um, and the way that I presented, um, and I, I'm in, you know, working in a predominantly white senior world. Mm. Um, I have a different way and a different approach. Um, and I was recognised by a, a director, and he asked me if I wanted to, to get a promotion to head the equalities team for prisons and probation, and I said no. Mm. Um, one, because I thought it was about, you know, that kind of let's be politically correct and tick some boxes. Tick box, yeah. Token, yeah. Tokenism. Yeah. Mm. I was just like, no, nah, I'm, not, nah, I'm, not, I'm not interested. But I went home and the gut started to turn. <laughs> and I was like, uh, really, God? Like, <laughs> really? I don't want to do that job, uh -huh. <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, but, but then I couldn't sleep. And I was like, okay, so I'll research. Right? How many people have we got in prison? We've got 80,000 people in prison. We've got 47,000 staff. We've got 190,000 people in the community on probation orders. Yeah. My job would be about bringing equality and inclusion for all of those people. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. massive. That's impact. That's yeah. bringing about a change. Yeah. So I went in the next day and I said, oh, oh yeah, I'll go for it, <laughs> basically. I mean, that's a long story short. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so then I was temporarily promoted into that role, which I had to apply for, and then I got it on a permanent basis. Um, and then uh, we expanded that from equalities to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and then this year, on the back of the death of George Floyd mm. um, and all the, the subsequent kind of race equality protests, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to reach out to uh, uh, staff from a black and uh, minority ethnic background mm. to say, how, how, how are we feeling here? Mm. And all this stuff started to come out. So all those years of people feeling kind of, you know, I feel oppressed. I feel, yeah. you know, can't all say those, nothing about it. Can't say nothing yeah. about those little kinds of, you know, microaggressions yeah. Or, yeah. or, or even, you know, overt racist yeah. comments. Mm -hmm. It was all coming out because yeah. they were given the platform. And so, um, long story short, um, I presented to the board that we needed to do a specific program of work that would tackle race inequality within the prison and probation service. Um, and um, that basically granted me the, the allowed me to, 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 to commission this work. And so that's what I'm working on standing up at the moment. And so that's looking at, yeah, race quality for staff and service users, those in our care. Um, and it's going to be a massive program of work. And I'm, I'm really excited that, that, um, that you know, you st yeah, that, that there's been a combination of things, but it's, yeah. I think it's going to be, um, it's exciting, but it's a lot of work. As you know, because you couldn't, we, you know, we couldn't get a call in the, <laughs> yeah. because my diary is back to back. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what stood out is um, earlier on, you, you were saying how, um, you know, you, you were surprised, not surprised, but the, the development, the jump. And it was like, 
it, it was a significant jump. But yeah. what, what I really started to think about is to people who had grown up differently, it would have just been a normal progression. Yeah. But those, those deep-rooted, subliminal, um, you know, low expectations for us um, makes you, you know, you're in a position and you think, oh, this is a massive jump and maybe you'd second guess doing it. But actually, it's just normal progression because you are who you are, you're as good as you are, you, you have the ability to be better. And really, the, if it's happened before, why, could, why can't you do it? Why couldn't it be a job for you? So it's just, you know, I'm, I'm just, it's just inspiring when you hear um, people that come from that and then, yeah. you know, opportunities are put in front of them and then they, they go through them and, you know, just move mm -hmm. on. And, you know, and you look back and you think, wow, I came from the mud and, you know, and now I'm here, you know, and I've got so much more to do as well. So mm. it's really inspiring, man. Your story is definitely... So you do inspiring. have to work harder. You do. I, Absolutely. I think that I, not, maybe you don't even have to, but we do tend to work harder and we too, do tend to, to feel that there's a point, you know, like yeah. I said on Monday, I, I logged in at 5am. I didn't log off until 9pm. Mm. And I don't do that every day, but if there's things that need to be done, I'm not going to miss a deadline and I'm going to get it done. Yeah. I would, I would, I would be mortified if I missed a deadline where others might not necessarily feel that level of pressure. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so that, and in work, obviously I can't achieve everything that I want to achieve in yeah. terms of the help. Hence why, I do my outside outside work um, and the charities that I'm involved in. Yes, yes. Well, that's yeah. what I wanted to go on to next. So, I wanted to speak a bit on um, the woman, the uh, City Women Outreach. First of all, okay. So, City Women Outreach, I have merged really into uh, Women on the Front Line. So, City Women Outreach is the the outreach that we started for the sex workers in East London. Right. So that's Stratford and Ilford. Um, and that's providing them support, signposting ex um, ways to exit um, um, prostitution. But as we found that, as I said, you know, there's, it, it's a different game now in terms of the girls that are trafficked and the way that you need to be able to approach that. So um, we joined up with another organisation and formed a charity, which is Women on the Frontline. And because of my... Um, how busy I am in the day. Mm -hmm. I cannot go out anymore really on a Friday night to do the outreach. Yeah. Um, so in forming the charity, I became the chair of the board. Um, and that, and, that's, um, and that, 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 that's what we do in terms of trying to, and that's been going for over 10 years now. Okay. And that's, um, and it's tough. It really is tough. Yeah. It's one of the, it's one of the areas where people don't want to give funding for and because mm. they don't see it as their problem. Mm. But when you, you know, I remember doing a talk and I said to somebody, I said to this, the, the, these women, you know, you know, um, if, if, if in history you were looked back, if you were looked on as the people that had slaves at the end of their road and they did nothing to support them, mm. what would your thoughts be mm. of you? You know what I mean? Yeah. When you look back at slavery and you go, why didn't those people do anything? Yeah. Why did they allow that to go on? Yeah. And I'm like, there are modern day slaves at the end of your road mm. who have been trafficked and are forced to have sex with numerous men and they get nothing for it. Mm. They are just pieces of meat yeah. for the, the traffickers. Mm. And, but anyway, that's my, that, it that, still doesn't help you. You still don't get the money that you want. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it, it, it does try to, I truly try to stir up the kind of emotion and how I see things. But, but yeah, so that's, that's, uh, yeah, that, so, that's, that's still going. So City, and Out, City um, Women Outreach and uh, Women on the Frontline, those two are merged. 
And, yeah. then, and then you're also involved in Girls to School. Yeah, so that I founded, and that was on the back of my initial trip to Kenya a few years ago mm-hmm. and seeing lots of girls not at school. And it was like, why aren't they at school? Oh, because it's their time of the month. Mm-hmm. They can't afford sanitary products. I'm like, being the solution provider I am, it's like, well, how can we fix this? Mm-hmm. And I thought about maybe just doing some GoFundMes and sending sanitary pads over every month, but that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I'm too busy and I hate fundraising if I'm honest I'm right. really bad at, I'm not good at it I'm not good at asking people for money can't be good um, at anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really really don't like it I really don't yeah. but then I was linked into uh, with somebody from Uganda who um, has created a real uh, like a small kind of enterprise yeah. where she has women um, in, in, in this village who make reusable sanitary pads and they're so beautiful and they've got like African print on them yeah. and they're just wonderful Mm -hmm. and um so i raised some money and i thought i'd rather raise money for for a batch of reusable ones so we can give those out and then the girls can wash and go do you know what i mean Mm. um and use them again yeah and so yeah we we we, we raised enough for 200 packs and then i took my son out to kenya and we ran workshops in the slum and this was i mean i I wasn't even an organization at this point Mm. and and i just me and my son on a plane met some people who live in the slums and we just had been in contact. Um, and, yeah, so we ran, we ran workshops over two days. And it was just amazing kind of teaching them about what was happening to their bodies, mm-hmm. um, giving them, um, getting in HIV nurses so that they could, you know, understand the risks they're at because some of them were positive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and then just seeing them with those packs, knowing that for the next 12 months they, they will be able to go to school and not have to think about, you know, they've got the same... Advanced, they're on the same level playing field as the boys in their class yeah. um, for me was, was what it was all about mm. um, and that kind of links into the, um, the NGO which is uh, the, in Ghana mm. um, there's an organisation which is called Street Children Empowerment Foundation mm. and um, I linked him with the, uh, the founder who is just one of the most incredible people who's completely committed his life to street kids in, in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, right, okay, so what can we do? Like, how can we get this to work here? Mm-hmm. How can we get you to make these products, sell these products, give the street kids the products for free, but also have a business and an income? Um, so that's what we're in the middle of, of working through now. COVID kind of put a, a knock on that. But, yeah, um, yeah I'm really, really... Um, I, what I don't want to be is this saviour coming from the West to go and help because actually... Africa's got its own resource and they can do this, but it's how can I partner and help support projects? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so actually if I can make them or help them to be um, self-sufficient, mm. then that, 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 that for me w- would be amazing. Teach them how to fish rather than give them the fish. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Do you yeah, know, no, that's when a good you, analogy. You are really ahead of the curve because it's only this week um scotland i scotland, believe yeah, are yeah. giving yeah. you know giving the girls um free free sanitary yeah. equipment you yeah. know so yeah. you were definitely ahead of the curve and and hopefully i mean hopefully this is the beginning of girls across the country being able to get yeah. for free you know um, yeah because we do have the same problem here yeah. if you think about people who are on benefits and who mm. need to go to food banks or mm. even on low incomes people have to go to food banks yeah. sanitary products are not cheap yeah it's an extra um, cost that, that men yeah, men and boys will never have you know no. but, and then you think about people that earn less and oh, there's so yeah. many reasons yeah. why 
women shouldn't have to pay for their sanitary towels yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. No, Let just... alone living in a country where, you know, food is, is, is a priority and, 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 and yeah. yeah. And, and even there, the sanitary products are really expensive for mm-hmm. some odd reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's me in terms of wanting to be a solution provider. And I think that the reason that I've gone through my journey and it's because people have given me opportunity. Mm. And so I, 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 you know, the core of me wants to be able to bring people along and, and also open doors because I think that we all need to be that for others, yeah. for us to be able to, you know, definitely. Um, it's that kind of, it's, I'm not, I don't want to say giving back because that just sounds, I think that just, yeah, that, mm. that doesn't sit well with me, but, um, it is part of me in terms of how can I support others? Mm-hmm. Um, because others have helped me, mm. really. Mm. Well, it, I mean, there's different terms for it, paying back, giving back, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, not everybody's a giver. You know, you get people, you can put people into many categories, but one of the couple of categories, you've got givers and you've got takers, and you definitely fit in the giving side. So, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and I'm sure you will <laughs> regardless um, so um, so in regards to uh, th- this because you mentioned earlier about um, George Floyd and, and what's gone mm. on this year so uh, this year's global awareness of the black experience and the, inqual- the inequalities um, mm. that have been exposed um, what's mm. your, your take on that hmm. <laughs> I think that it's been I think it's been quite traumatic people and one of the things that I wanted to raise and I do think there are people who think who now saying oh how can I help how can I be an ally Mm -hmm. and I'm like it's it's, it's wonderful that you want to do that but what you're wanting me to do is relive my experience Mm -hmm. um which is which is traumatic and there are times when I can do it but there's some days I just don't want to um I think that there are moments in time where we can push an agenda push this agenda Mm -hmm. um and, and, and this is one of them, but it will go away mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it will revert onto something else pretty soon. I think it already is cooling down in terms of the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have seen is we've seen stuff, and if it's tokenistic or not, we have seen stuff in terms of, you know, um, loose women, they had all, all, yeah. all black cast for that loose women, amazing. which yes, is, Judy yeah, it, it, mm. yeah. And, and then, but then you get uh, some people who say we, we shouldn't be accepting their crumbs. We shouldn't be accepting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that people are throwing crumbs and we're just taking them and we're happy with the crumbs. Right. Um, but as I say, we are very early in the journey in terms of generationally being in this country. Mm. We are second generation or first generation born here. Mm. So the foundations are not there in the same way, but it's how can we pave the way for our children and mm. for our children's children? Yeah. And, and, and that's the responsibility and the weight that our generation carry. Um, so yes, there's been a focus, but that focus will go. Mm. You know, people have a Black Lives Matter, you know, symbol on their Facebook page or turn things dot black or whatever. Mm. But then, you know, that will change. Mm. Um, and, and, and people are not, and, and I can't blame people if they don't have that lived experience. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They don't have the experience, they don't know. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I do try to share the experience as much as I can, just mm. so that people understand so when I had to watch my son or hear from my son that he was getting stops and searched every other day on his way to school in his school uniform mm. um 
then you have to educate yourself and then say, right, okay, so the PACCO says this, son, so this is what you need to get from them every time that they stop you. That's Once right. you started to approach them in that way, they mm. stopped. They ease off, yeah. They, yeah, they stopped. Because mm. I said, okay, what we'll do is we'll collect the tickets because they need to give you a ticket every time they stop you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, and so when you collect the tickets, then I'll go down to the police station and say you're being harassed. But we never got to that point because as soon as he started saying those things, they um, they, they stopped. Yeah. They, they, they stopped. But it's, but it's why does my son have to go through that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, why, why, does, why does it, when I go and speak at his school and I say, who's been stopped and searched in this class and only the black boys have put their mm. hands up, yeah. you know, and all of that can mm. make people angry and bitter and, you know, um, um, and that's what's come out a lot as well in, mm. in, in this time. But it's actually how can we help um, people through that, but also have solutions to it. Um, um, and that's what I'm trying to do in the work that I'm doing Absolutely. Um, in, in the best way that I can. Yeah, so, I mean, solutions Solutions are important. We've got to get to the solutions, but there's a, a lot to unpick and, and still a lot to speak about and a lot of education um, needed. So, so yeah, we've, we've got our work cut out, but we're willing and we're able. One, mm. one of the words that's, you know, I mean, the word, not even word, acronym that's been around for a while that... Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you, you know where I'm going with this. I, I, I can't. I can't stand it myself for for many reasons. This acronym. Go on, BAME, say it. You say it. BAME. You say had, it. Yeah, we need to. <laughs> we need to address the BAME issue. I mean, right. you know. So can I tell you from my perspective why we use BAME or BAME mm-hmm. in in it? So if I'm looking at data and and I want to be evidence based in anything that I'm doing. So if I'm saying we need to increase the diversity of our workforce, mm-hmm. I need to know what our current baseline is. Mm. So if I'm looking at the workforce, the numbers and, 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 and race is a protected characteristic. Mm. So if it's protected, that means if I'm the only black person, or if I'm the only Asian person working in that office over there, mm. if I'm going to declare my ethnicity on your, on your system, mm. I don't want it that you're not allowed to be able to identify me. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, but if you've got a bunch of black, or, or, or you, if you have a black person, an Asian person, uh, and other minority ethnics in that same building, mm. if the number is over a particular amount, you can use that data. Mm. So now I'm in a position where I know that the prison and probation service is 10% BAME. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was publicized yesterday, so I, I'm, not, I'm not showing anything that I'm not supposed to. Mm-hmm. That's 10%. Mm. When our prison population is 27% be aiming. Mm. The next stage of that is we're going to have to break that down by ethnicity. But again, if the numbers are so low in each of the categories, mm. I can't use it. Mm. I can't publish it. I can't use it. So at the moment, it's used as a, as a from my perspective. Right. But then we have different terms. So even for BAME or BAME, mm. that means if you're Spanish, you're a minority ethnic you're coming into that category. Yeah. If you're Polish, you come into that if category. If you're Irish. If you're yeah. Irish, you come in. But actually, the oh, Gypsy Roma Traveller yeah, com- well, yeah, yeah. community, they, they're just, they have discrimination in their own right as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, um, and so the work I'm doing, I want to focus on that too. Yeah. Um, but, but I do want us to get to a place as an organisation where that is broken down. Yeah. But then again, people feel uncomfortable because they're not sure what term they should use. Yeah. So people have started to use people of colour because mm. actually you're then speaking about a visibly BAME person, yeah. not just you're not somebody who is, 
you know what I mean? Yeah. Because even if you say ethnic minority, people get offended by the minority bit. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not a minority. Yeah. I mean, how dare you? I find that to be discriminatory. Yeah. Um, so people of colour seems to be a term that sits... It's an Americanism, mm. but it seems to sit better with most. And so I'm trying to use that term more, yeah. but for statistical purposes, I have to use same. Yeah, I mean, I get the statistical stuff. And, you know, I mean... It's here and people are using it, but I, I and I hear the positives for using it. And let me just clear up something because I think I said Irish people, but I think it's Irish travellers that come under Bay. The gypsy Roman than, traveller. Yeah. Okay, not Irish travellers. No. Well, yeah. Well, they. they, they but, yeah. but the t like, so it would be you're either a gypsy, Irish gypsy mm -hmm. uh, traveller, or Roma, which is a category. Okay. Yeah. In in things, yeah. Okay. So. So, so I'm getting technical now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> it's education for me for sure. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. But, um, yeah, so my thing with, with it is, so it has its pluses, like you said, for statistical purposes. But then when, with, like, say, with this COVID situation, when you're uh, talking about why certain parts of the community are more affected, for instance, and you say BAME people or people who are BAME, um, the, the issues that people have to deal with within that are different. You know, Asian people will have different issues. Black pe people, you know, African descent will have different issues. The, the Roma people, the trap, you know, these people are going to mm. have different things. But when you, mm. it seems like when you put them all under BAME, you mm. kind of, you don't address any of them specifically. So you don't mm. hit the issues that are happening for them specifically, you know? Yeah, no, that, that can feel like a cop out yeah. in terms of, but I would say, so Public Health England published, and I, I did a lot of work, around this, uh, but Public Health England published their findings in terms of how BAME communities were impacted. Mm -hmm. And they highlighted that black men mm -hmm. are like the highest, um, highest impacted and then, and then and, and Asian. But then even with Asian, you have to break that down, right? Yeah. So I think um, it was, and, and, and forgive me if anyone listens to this and they, and they know, I think it's Bangladeshi mm -hmm. uh, with the highest proportion in the Asian group. Mm. Um, but it was a significant number. But, 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 but you have to look at it in context. So what jobs do people have? Mm. Who is being poor? So like in the, in the NHS, in some of their trusts, 70% of their staff deaths had yeah. a BAME background. Yeah. And that's because they were on those wards. Yeah. You're working frontline on, right. a, on, a, on a COVID ward. Mm. Um, we haven't seen that same disparity in our, in my place of work, but you know, we've got prisons, we've got, we haven't seen that same level of disparity. Mm. Um, so I think it's sometimes you have to look at it in the context. And so, and in some families, so some Asian families, it's traditional for, you know, um, families to live in the same house mm. and their grandparents to be in the same house. Mm -hmm. So actually if one person gets sick, that a lot more people are going to get sick mm. and then having an elderly, you know, vulnerable person in the house, mm -hmm. they're less likely to survive because of underlying health or whatever and age. Yeah. Um, so, so um, mm. if you just put it out there without context, it actually is a problem. Right. But I think if you look at, if you put, if you put, um, 10 Asian, 10 black and 10 white in a room mm -hmm. with COVID people, the outcomes would be the same for those individuals, unless they had underlying health conditions like diabetes yeah. Um, yeah. Or, and they were overweight or they were older. But outside of that, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not a medical person, but yeah. I think that I try to look at it holistically and why is it that these numbers have been significantly higher. But now, actually, because mm -hmm. the North's numbers are higher than the South, it would be interesting to see what the ethnic breakdown is of deaths mm. now 
mm. because actually I think the, and in the north obviously it gets whiter the more north you go yeah apart yeah. from well, apart from Leeds and and and, and and that way but yeah it yeah. would be interesting to see yeah for sure I mean in regards to the uh, I mean the terminologies how we describe people and stuff I I, I would like to see maybe have them use um, people of African descent. I think that should be yeah, thrown in the yeah. mix. I think that, yeah. that covers quite a bit. But we, we, we see yeah. how things go. We see how things go. But um, Well, uh, to be fair, the, that, the, the people at my place of work are starting to use that language. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. good to hear. That is good to yeah. know. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, you, you touched on um, the pandemic that we're, we're going through. What's, what's been your take on the pandemic? Uh, so I'm, I'm I've probably, you know, well, you, you know me and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I can come across as quite an extrovert person, but I'm actually quite not. Mm-hmm. I like being by myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> this kind of lockdown thing hasn't bothered me mm-hmm. in that way, like being at home. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I recently traveled to Ghana and coming back was, um, I found depressing, um, but but in general it hasn't bothered me. Mm. I'm I'm not fearful of it, and I know, and that's no disrespect to people who have lost people, mm-hmm. um, and and you know and you know I've got people who are close to me who are one extreme, and I've got people close to me the other extreme in terms of theories mm. about the pandemic. Mm. Um, I try to play, I try to be fairly neutral in that. Mm. Um, in the early days, I think there was about seven people from my church who, who passed mm. um, um, as a consequence um, of COVID. Mm. I, 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 what, what, what I think with my practical brain mm. is more people have died of the flu. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, and, 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 um, and maybe it's because we're in lockdown that it's prevented uh, um, those numbers to significantly rise um, but you know we misrecorded in the early days mm. um, and we are seeing more cases but I don't know if we're seeing many more, many more um, deaths I, I don't know I don't watch it as intently as I used to yeah. um, but I, I, I just it's it's going to change a lot in terms of you know they, they the, the, what's the term the new normal mm-hmm. you, you know we're gonna we're gonna go into a new normal like I've worked every single day from home mm-hmm. since March oh no no there's two days I went into the office yeah. and now I'm going to be conscious and go in once a week because mm-hmm. I it, that's going to be a transition well no I just I am sick and tired of being at home now if mm-hmm. I'm honest right um, because my office is next to my bedroom so I get up I go in the bathroom I go and I sit and I log in mm-hmm. And I work much longer hours. Yeah. Um, you do work harder when you're working from home, for sure. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I do. I, and, there, you know, there, there is no opportun- opportunity to skive um, because there's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and I do miss that. I do miss the social aspect. I like going out for dinner. I like seeing my friends and mm. going out for meals yeah. and socialising in that way. And, and then that I don't... Um, um, but, but what's your take on the pandemic? I'd be interested well, to know. My, my take on the pandemic is I don't think we're really going to know what's really going on to any factual space for about 50 years. <laughs> I, think, I think there's stuff, you know, we're, we're learning every day. Things are changing. Um, people have this belief. That, and I'm like yourself. I, mm. I, I listen to it all. 
and and I'm happy mm. to watch the news as well. So I just listen to everything, and mm. so nothing's not of of a shock to me. And I can use my own logic on how I handle it and how I navigate around it. But um, I think the, the, the issue with it is nobody really knows enough about anything. So everybody's got an opinion, you know, mm. and it causes a, a lot of friction, you know, a, a lot of friction, a lot of um, friction between people that never had any friction. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're a person that wears a mask and another person that doesn't, there's a tension yeah. there. If you're a person that believes it's real, some people believe it's not, there's tension. It's just, yeah. it's just a really um, interesting time for many, many different reasons. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it is what it is. We, we, we're going to have to work our way through it and, and, and be tolerant, you know? And we're learning a lot about ourselves. We're learning a lot about people. The one thing I said at the beginning of this pandemic is that what it's doing is it's exposing everybody for who they are. So if you're a really nice person, a giving person, you're going to find ways to do more of that because there's more need for it, et cetera. But if you're really a selfish person, and a non-caring person, you're going to do that too. And if you're a bigoted person, it's going to give you opportunity to be that too, but it will expose... Oh, I don't know if that's true. Mm. I think Because I think that it is putting a fear in people. In so, you know, there's some people that are so frightened, they've just completely shut down. Mm. And so in a normal circumstance, they might have been out there, you know, handing out food at the soup bank or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. But actually, they can't do that now because they're scared that they're going to get COVID. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've just I've just seen people who have been um, who are not normally neurotic or you know mm. bothered by some things just really switch Ex and become that. yeah and you're like but, my goodness but, but that's my point that 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 is who they really are that that's part of it's not all of who they are but mm. that is part of them that that was a part that life didn't expose. It's like, you know, people are who they are when they're in public, when they're at work, in a professional yeah. capacity. But when they're at home by themselves, yeah. the thoughts and feelings they have and things that they would do, and you know, all of that is not what they want the world to see. There's parts of that yeah. we don't want the world to see. But what, what this year has done, I feel, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I feel like it's just exposed people. It's just exposed us for all, all, all the parts of us. I mean, there's so much... I mean, that's a whole podcast in itself, to be fair, but there's so many things this year that have come about because of the dynamics of this pandemic. And that stuff wasn't created by the pandemic. It was always there. It's just, yeah, it's just yeah. unearthed it. No, but that's just like politics, though, isn't it, though, mm. as well? Mm. Like, like, the, like the divide over Trump and Biden and, mm. and, 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 and all of that and, and the venom that you see come out of people and you're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, how, you're speaking about another human being in that way. Like, even yeah. people in England, they're not even in America. No, yeah, no I, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's I've real. I've got my fair share of battles with Americans who I just I'm not in agreement with over certain things. Yeah, and then I see it here, and I'm like, my God. Yeah. So on on that note, what do you what are you most concerned about uh, for the end of this year? Well, this year's nearly over, but 2020, 2021, more importantly, what you're what are you most concerned about? I wouldn't say I'm concerned about anything because I just really believe. Not that, you know, I, I am a bit of a faith fairy. So I do believe that, you know, God has his way. Whatever's happening, God's having his way. Mm -hmm. For whatever lessons we need to learn about ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, whatever lessons we need to learn about this earth, mm -hmm. he, he will have his way. Mm -hmm. 
and he he's going to utilize this time yeah and nothing happens without him allowing it to happen mm-hmm. so i don't have a fear in that way about you know um you know whatever whatever's going to come mm-hmm. I, I i i'm if i couldn't travel that yeah. would be that would be just that would be the worst thing for yeah. me so so it's interesting that you started talking about fear but really and what I was talking about was concerns, but actually your concern, as you said, is, is if you couldn't travel. That's what you're... Yeah. Yeah, that's your yeah. biggest concern. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there's a fear in that because you just, yeah, you're, you're, you're like, well, I suppose maybe it's the wrong use of fear, but yeah, I, I would... open For me, it would be beyond a concern if I couldn't travel. Mm. Like, <laughs> that I would... Yeah. I just, I mean, I... This year I've travelled... Um, how many times have I travelled? once mm-hmm. last year i think i was out of this country six times right. like i just is my thing i work really hard mm. and every few months i travel mm. um and i like and i've got friends in different parts of the world and i like to see them and i like to engage in something that's nothing to do with my life here mm-hmm. um and um not to be able to do that yeah yeah, uh, that, 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 would, that would be that would be difficult for me. Yeah, and, and, and the, on top of you having your, your free time to, to rest after all the good work you do, you actually have work commitments out there where you know you're doing good work out there. Oh, so. yeah, when I travel, I work. Yeah, yeah, yeah so <laughs> yeah. it's important. We, we need to actually do a campaign to make sure at least you can fly to do your business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just come back from Ghana, so I'm not doing too badly. Uh, um, yeah, I, did, sure. I, did, I did travel and I, I was like, you know, um, and then you have to, I mean, it costs so much more as well. Like you mm. have to have a test before you let it land, yeah. uh, leave, £170. Pound. Mm. When you land, you have to have another test, yeah. another £130. Pound. Yeah. Um, and it's like, look at that. Yeah. I've not even winked and there's £300 pound gone. But yeah. I, for me, it was worth it. It's it was worth it. it because I had two, well, over two weeks away. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I quarantined for two weeks when I got back. That's fine. Yeah, new normal. We're not going anywhere so. anyway. Yeah. We're not going anywhere anyway. Again, then the next thing is the uh, vaccine and everybody, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's to come next year. As well, well some, some people report it's going to be the end of this year. And then that's, that's wow. a whole, again, that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> But yep. um, but you just mentioned how you like when you travel, you you're out there working as well. But what do you mm. do for enjoyment outside of work? Um, <laughs> um, socialising with my friends and seeing my family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I and and I, and, I, and as I say, I like being on my own. That for me is replenishing. That is. You know, it could be doing nothing for a day is, is amazing for me. Having no agenda, mm-hmm. um, nothing on the, no, you know, and every couple of weeks I have a day like that. Mm. Um, I like to read. Um, I listen to podcasts. Mm. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of my time. And, you know, my, my, my prayer time um, is, is, is hugely beneficial for me. Um, but, yeah, the days of kind of partying and all that are kind of out the window. Okay. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the energy to um, <laughs> to, to get busy. involved in any of that. Yes. Well, I'm too busy. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, yeah. yeah. But, but, but yeah, it's just friends and family and it changes, doesn't it? As you, as you get older, your priorities change. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, sure. uh, that, that, that gives it. And, and what I do gives me great enjoyment. Mm. My charities give me great enjoyment. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay, cool. All right, so... What are your, I mean, obviously, that's, those are things that you've achieved, things that you've created, you know, from, from nothing. 
Um, they didn't exist before you, you know. Um, so what are your three tips for achieving your goals? What three tips would you give to the listeners for achieving their goals? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know if I have any, to be fair, which is probably disappointing. Um, I, I think don't limit yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think limitations are put on you by others, not necessarily by yourself. And that, that you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to be a brain surgeon because that's not possible, mm, right? Realistic. Uh, be realistic mm. in it. So my next step in my journey is probably to be a deputy director in in, in the civil service, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I would never, you know, you can't dream that as a receptionist. Mm. Um, but 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 you're incremental in your dream, and and why not? Mm. Um, so 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 my my steps have been incremental, but others have been different. So I wouldn't want to put that on anyone. But you know, just what is your next step? Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, what, I, there is a tip. Mm-hmm actually it's the gut <laughs> mm. and this this i think is about the purpose mm. when i first started one of my outreaches i had a i i used to look at the women and think i used to mourn for them like it was something that i felt that i needed to do mm. and i think sometimes an opportunity arises and it might not you know i'm quite expert you know expressive but yeah. if there's something that hits you in your gut like yeah I'm stepping out of the boat a bit here. This is a bit of a risk. Mm. Um, but, but there's something in me that says it. Don't do it uninformed. Inform yourself and be, you know, as informed as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'd say, I'd say uh, um, go for it. Okay. And, and don't limit yourself. And your circumstances, and this is my mantra, mm. your current circumstances do not dictate your destination. Uh-huh. That's a good so, so your destiny, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, reality, you know, yeah. Mm. Well, well, yeah, I mean, people can look at their circumstances. They could be sitting in a house being punched in their face by their partner mm. and thinking, how am I going to buy nappies for this child? And how am I going to do da 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 That is not going to dictate that person's destination mm-hmm. unless they decide to stay in it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you have to make incremental moves. And, and you could say, oh, yeah, it's all right for you to say. Mm-hmm. I've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. There's the, you, you, have to, you have to just keep it moving. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, align to your purpose and you're gone clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you gave us about four there. <coughs> there you go. Working. There you Thank go. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. And um, so also then, what are the top three things you would tell an aspiring um, civil servant within the criminal justice system to do to ensure success in their career? Mm, that's interesting. So I'm, even though I'm a civil servant, I've not worked in cross-government departments. I did actually apply for a job in the Treasury recently, and I did very well in, in, in the process, but, mm. but um, I was second, not first, so I didn't get a job. Okay. Um, I think that it's the civil service is a funny place, as mm. in it's the kind of stereotypically white, middle to upper class mm. people in senior positions, mm. uh, which can be a massive deterrent. Um, I think engage with people who look like you who are in senior positions, mm-hmm. message them, say, can we have a virtual coffee, reach out to people, network, get involved in staff networks who, who have events and you get to meet other people. Um, and then once you feel comfortable in doing stuff like that, mm-hmm. approach senior people and ask them to mentor you or to if you can shadow them for the day. Or I've done all of that. Mm-hmm. I've done all of it. 
you know, um, and 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 you know, all that. What they're going to say if they if they don't want to do it? No. Yeah. That's it. You haven't lost your job, have you? No. You know. No. Um, and and so yeah, I, I, I would say just try to make opportunities for yourself, and also make your work speak for your for speak speak for you. Mm. Um, your output. I'm very delivery focused. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there's areas that you may need to develop in, mm. and so learn. I know that I wasn't strategic when I came into this role. Mm. I had to learn and understand what that even meant mm-hmm. um, because I was operationally focused mm. um, and, and broaden your skill set. Mm. But don't necessarily think you need to become what you see up there because actually we're trying to break that mold, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so and what, what um, tips would you give an aspiring uh charity creator in order mm. to have a successful charity say don't do it <laughs> <laughs> it's such hard work <laughs> oh sorry but even to set up and get your constitution in place and get cleared as a charity <laughs> is a mission yeah. and then what and i'm just being real like yeah. it's tough yeah uh, you have to have some real committed people with you mm. on that journey so, you know, as part of your board, you have to have a secretariat and these people have to turn up mm-hmm. like you have to have uh, an accountant who's going to be your finance partner mm-hmm. or, or finance board member because your accounts all need to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's particular roles that people need to play. I mean, in the first few years of us having this charity, people wanted to be on the board. And I think it was just to put it on their CV. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one board member. I think I saw him once in four years. Right. He didn't turn up to any of the board meetings. Mm-hmm. And you have to have quorums, so that means you have to have so many people attend for mm-hmm. that to be a legitimate meeting. Mm-hmm. And you have to, as a charity, meet so many times a year. Mm-hmm. And you have to have an AGM once a year. So that's just your basics. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, if you've got committed people who are all on the same kind of uh, trip as you, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. We've just found it really difficult to find committed people. We've got them now, but yeah. it's been really, really difficult to come to that point. Mm. Um, yeah, just be really clear on what your, your goal is. If there's, like for me with the girls to school, I couldn't set that up as a charity because I'm taking funds out of the country and that becomes problematic in terms of them thinking that you're trying to, uh, what is it, when you're trying to uh, launder money. Yeah. Um, so so I'm just, that's just a non-profit. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, think about what you want out of it. Is it is it an actual charity mm. or is it something you can do as a non-profit organisation? Mm. Um, and there's another new name for the charity. I can't remember CIS? the name of it now. Is that what it is? I yes. Think it's CIS, yeah. Well, so I think I think the rigor for that is less than standing up a a, a full blown charity. Yeah, I believe I so. That's that's the yeah. that's the soft charity is nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. Mm. Absolute nightmare. But yes, yeah, so 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 you, you just I think it's about having the right people around you. Um, um, who are going to go on that journey because you get a lot of people who in the beginning they want to be there for you but actually if they're not aware of the commitment mm-hmm. um, they, they drop off yeah. and then it's just then it's long you're, you're, you're stuck mm-hmm. um, and, then, and you know yeah yeah okay so I want you to use your imagination for this oh, yeah <laughs> so are you sure people are going to listen to us for this long <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll be playing it again and again and again. Ah. <laughs> oh, I Getting out all the gems that you've been dropping. Oh. But, um, but I want yeah. you to use your imagination and I want you to think back to like a Saturday, any Saturday, you woke up Saturday, a 20-year-old Tanya 
<laughs> She's woken up, finished with school for the week. Saturday, what advice would you give a 20-year-old Tanya? You know what I'd say to her? You're going to be all right, kid. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah you're going to be all right. Like, yeah. And, and actually, and, 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 and I think that, um, and I've, I've said this before, and I think we've had a conversation about this before. Mm. I, like, so my career and everything um, kicked off in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of, you know, your parents have said it to you, you know, learn from my mistakes mm. and, you know, but you have to make your own. And I think if I could go back, I would say to, I would say, um, to, to, to me at 20, mm-hmm. um, get back in school. That's mm. what I would say to me. Educate yourself. Mm. Um, Good advice. And yeah, that's that's what I would that's what I would say to me. Yeah, because I didn't do that until my thirties. And and actually, in my thirties, I should have been doing the masters, not not my first degree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that is sound advice. Sound advice. So on a, we're coming up to the end. You know, we are mm. coming up to the end. But on a, on a lighter note, I mean, there's been some lighter elements. There's been some deep <laughs> elements. I think we've had everything in this podcast. To be fair. Um, but what are your thoughts and I don't know if you've seen it but what are your thoughts on Steve McQueen's Small Acts um, <laughs> the five part series <laughs> specifically the Lover's Rock uh, episode can I just say can I just say that <laughs> people are harsh man do you know what I mean do you know how many white rubbish programs are on TV and we sit down there and watch it and don't put up it on social media my goodness this people went man, in it was I think it was dry right but but I mean you know you reminisced a bit it was like oh my gosh you know I mean it could have been made so much more but you know if you're thinking about if if you're thinking in his from his perspective Mm -hmm. being a filmmaker does everything have to be deep meaningful get messages across and inform the world about do you know what I mean like like, mm. he did that with Mangrove Nine. Like, that was amazing. Mm. And it was a history lesson because there's so many people, who, me included, mm. didn't know that full story mm. of that journey that they went through. Um, and apparently... That was amazing. Uh, Mangrove, Mangrove ma- was amazing. Ma- amazing, amazing. Yeah. And, but the thing is, they should have started... Nah. They should have started <laughs> with the Lover's Rock one. <laughs> they should have started with that one mm-hmm. and then built on it. But maybe if they started with the Lover's one, we wouldn't have watched the next one. Yeah. 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 But so I don't know where they would have put it. And if they would have put it last, uh-huh. we would have been, oh gosh, look at that, that's the last one. So I want to say, uh, you know, uh, there was there was bits, there was it was reminiscent, it mm. was, you know, but do we have to do everything? And mm. this is the pressure we put on ourselves to this ultimate degree of, of excellence mm-hmm. where we're selling our message at every cost and putting ourselves in the best possible light. It was nice. It was light. It was a bit boring, but, mm. um, um, you know, it wasn't the worst thing I've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if, if, if you put it on a par with other rubbish you watch on telly, mm-hmm. it wasn't the worst thing that I've seen. I thought we ended a bit oddly. It was like they ran out of money or something. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I knew that. I, don't, I, kept, I, I thought I'd missed a bit, so I kept rewinding it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't. It's that finished. It. <laughs> it's <laughs> finished. Yeah, she, yeah, she, she, she went party and then went church. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> do you know, I mean, I, I, I think I've got to do a podcast on this whole situation because, <laughs> like you said, 
Some people lost the plot after seeing it. And I, I, I could see <laughs> It was so funny, the way people lost yeah. the plot. And, and I saw, I mean, I watched it and I said, yep, it's gone, he's in trouble tomorrow. People have got a lot to say. <laughs> There's going to be some issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, but, uh, yeah, my, my friend Angela Marr, she was quite positive about it because I think people in the entertainment world mm, understand yeah. about maybe trying to get something out and what you have to go through to get it there. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and she understands that. But people were blasted on her page, like, going, nah, 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 we <laughs> what, so people were filming themselves, you're rubbish. <laughs> it was rubbish. I mean, who was doing this <laughs> kind of dancing? And I mean, you know. Yeah. There was a lot. Um, There's and a just lot. because he's black, it doesn't mean he experienced those things. Yeah. You know, and if yeah. he was a white man that had made it, he would have went, oh, bloody hell, look at him. You know, yeah. what, what do they call it? A black face in here and just trying to take on someone else's culture. Mm. And I'm sure there's lots of historical films that people would watch or, or things about history. Mm. And you'd look at that and go, that's not what happened. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like that, 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 that just didn't happen. Yeah. Maybe in the Jewish history or, I mean, even if I watch films, you know, Jesus films, I'm like, that really was not in the Bible. Like, yeah. they just made it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. made it up to dramatise the whole thing. Well, well this so, is the thing. I mean, for me, I, I, I am going to do a podcast on this. So people you need listen. to have more than one person on the call. Yeah. I you think need to have right. a few people because it'll be a massive debate and I think it'll be really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, it's a shame you can't do a phone in one because I'd love yeah. to phone in and say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> listen, I, I may, well, I will. We're going to work something out for sure, but for you me, without, panel, without, without going into my full breakdown of the show, um, one thing I would say is this. I think what people... I mean, he had a lot on his shoulders to, to, to take on what he's taken on anyway, especially this year, yeah. you know? So that's, that's one thing. And then what people have to consider is it's a five-part series. Four of them are factual stories, one is fictional. Now, when yeah. I watched, started watching it, I didn't realise, I didn't know if it was a fictional one or a, yeah, a, a yeah, factual yeah, one, yeah. but by the end of it, I was like, yep, that's the fictional one. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, and so what it tells me about him as a, because there's no doubt that he, my man is a, he's a talented director. We can't, yeah, yeah. we can't deny that. He made yeah. 12 Years a Slave and he made the Mangrove yeah. one. So, yeah. and 12 and years... And apparently this week's one's going to be good. Yeah, I, I, I have faith I have faith. Let me, say, let me say it now before it happens. I have faith that the next, the next few, until it ends, because I feel that that one was the, the, the fiction one, I think the next lot are um, going to be excellent. And I think right. he's skilled. I don't know, I'm not too sure about the other works that he's done, but I think he's, when he does factual stuff, he does it mm. amazingly well. When mm. he does fictional stuff, he might need some help. That's what I think. <laughs> that, you know, we yeah, can't be yeah, good at yeah, everything. Yeah. We can't well, because it's because I suppose if it's factual, you've got a, you've got a, you've, you've got all got the info. An actual, yes. Yeah, yes, you've got well all done. the info. I think because analogy. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I think what was missing was um, some. You could see he'd done some research, but he didn't do enough. He didn't go yeah, to the right. And he, clear, and he clearly weren't about. He, like, yeah, he, weren't, he weren't there. No. I mean, <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> but do you know what it is? I'm gonna. It, I did watch a interview with him after after the show, um, I'll send it to you, an interview with him breaking down the show. And it weren't from an aggressive person. I thought it was going to be like one of the most angry people, yeah, but it wasn't. She was quite yeah, calm yeah. with it. But um, yeah. basically, he turns out he was one of 
uh, he was he was really young at that time, and he he would have been like in the room upstairs underneath the coats, like many of us would have been at any yeah yeah um, yeah. Sitting parties. upstairs, just peering through the yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah so yeah. you wouldn't have fully experienced <laughs> it, you know. No. But but I think he he just needed to do a bit more research. I mean, I it, one of the this is one of the pluses. I like to look for the silver lining. For me, hmm. he made me say, hey, do you know what? I need to speak to my dad. I need to find out what mm, was going on in times because some of it makes sense to me, but I've got some questions. When I saw the mm. guy rolling on the floor, tearing off his top, I said, was my dad <laughs> and mum really doing that? I need to find that because they might have yeah. been because we've never had, yeah. this is a conversation we've had, never had no need to have. So yeah, 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 I was yeah, like, yeah. so I had the conversation and my dad was livid. He was, yeah. <laughs> he was cussing just like the rest of them. So it was, it was really funny and interesting. But, but yeah, I think I'm going, we will go into that. So, um, but moving on, because we do have to wrap up and it's been amazing speaking with you. But I do have one more question. My goodness, go on. What was the last book you read? Oh, I, I tend to read more than one mm-hmm. at a time. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm going to be really bad because I'm going to have to look at my bookshelf because I never remember the titles of the mm-hmm. books that, I, that I'm reading. So I was reading, and this is, I suppose, uh, work-related, which was which is uh, how to be an anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which, 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 no, but it's, it's 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 a kind of theory-based book in terms of looking at it from a policy perspective, right. as well as um, um, so basically stating that you know the way that things are set up, mm-hmm. it put it it, it it makes you fail basically, yeah. Um, yeah, or or makes it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, um, very kind of um, um, very radical book, and then the first, and then the last book that I read, um, and, I'm, and I really don't want to um, pronounce her name because I always get it wrong. But mm-hmm. um, half of half half a yellow sun is um, was 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 the last um, kind of uh, non-study book. Half a yellow sun. Um, yes. Okay. okay. Yes. And who's um, it by? By, by a Nigerian <laughs> author. I always get her name wrong, so I'm not going to say it. Do you want to spell it? Can I'm you not, spell it out? Cause it, I, no, I'm not saying it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to say it. I'm, no, I'm going to say it. Go ahead. Um, Chimamda Ngozi Adechi. So please forgive me, people on the line. I've pronounced that completely wrong. I but think... she's very, she's really famous and um, 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 author. Okay. And um, she's won lots of um, awards and prizes and stuff. But but her that 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 to me was a really um, interesting book because it, it gives me give, it gives some context and history, mm-hmm. a recent history um, in in Nigeria. Um, okay. Uh, but it's um, it's uh, good read. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It was good read. Good read. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right. Cool. Well, thank you for that. That's excellent. I'm sure. Um, You'll be forgiven for any faux pas. No, I'm not well, I'm just, don't, 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 because my just cuss me out. And it's bad, but I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, and when she says her name, yeah. I, I can say it, but yeah. it's just that you're like me. To read it off, I'm you? the same. I get caught up with it's stuff not like great. that. All right. So, look, I expected us to be on this podcast for half an hour. I think we've broken all of Pablo podcasts. Um, really? Times, yep. Because I can busted. chat, that's why. <laughs> But all this chat, time at home alone. <laughs> talk is good, man. Talk is good. Now I really appreciate. I really appreciate you taking the time out to um, to join me today. Yeah, um, and we'll definitely, definitely be asking you to come back for sure, for sure. But thank you, okay. thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Take care. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Okay, so thank you again for choosing Pablo's podcast today. 
Hopefully you can join me on the next one. Until then, take care and be nice to each other. Thank you for listening to Pablo's podcast. I'm Pablo from Hackney and you can catch me next week for more healthy discussion.